0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. Bob Rathbun bidding you welcome from Atlanta. We begin with our Jersey Mike's news and notes. And the first note is for Tom Crean, the Georgia head coach who joined us on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Well, this week, he was named to the Marquette M Club Hall of Fame. The coach at Marquette took over in the summer of 1999 and rebuilt that proud program, led Marquette to the 2003 NCAA Final Four, first time they had been since 1977. He also coached Marquette to four other NCAA tournament appearances and guided the University's basketball fortunes making that transition from Conference USA to the Big East. Coach Dwayne Wade, Travis Diener, among others. Tom Crean going into the Marquette Hall of Fame, and we congratulate Tom. The preseason basketball magazines are out, hitting the stands. Athlon and Lindy's are out. Athlon has Gonzaga number one, UCLA two, Kansas, and then Texas. Lindy's has Gonzaga one, UCLA two, Michigan number three and kansas number four great fodder as we get set for the new campaign but what about ranking teams statistically and analytically my guest this week is going to be the man who has turned this science into a must for all of us in the basketball business to see how teams stack up during the course of a season in preparation for the NCAA basketball tournament. His name is Ken Pomeroy and his interesting background and how KenPom.com came to be when we find out from the man himself right after this from Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's would like to dedicate the next three seconds to our new grilled portobello mushroom and Swiss sub. Trust us, it tastes good too. Because fresh ingredients make a sub above. This week, as we get set for the start of a brand new college basketball season, I am so excited to introduce our next guest. Uh, You know, he's somebody that those of us in the business just rely on on almost a daily basis as we cover the great game of college basketball, and it has really, he's become, you know, one of those go to gurus when it comes to statistics and analytics. And we wanted to share his story with you. Ken Pomeroy is with us from Salt Lake City, the man known as Ken Palm, and that's the name of his website, kenpom.com, to talk all things college basketball. Ken, how are you, sir?
1: I'm doing great, Bob. It's uh, yeah, getting to be that time of year where uh season is just around the corner and uh, there's a little. A bit of nervousness in uh in my belly putting together data and, and getting the site ready so uh i think this uh podcast here is another sign that uh that we're getting close
0: well we'll talk about the season and what you're looking at uh, in just a moment but i think for our audience we want to introduce them to you uh and get to know you a little bit uh i think a lot of college basketball fans will be surprised to learn that it was meteorology that uh, you got into and taught and and worked in for the government but you made my heart sing when you told me before we got started here that you grew up watching my ACC telecast. You know, Ken, for somebody like you to say that, you go straight to heaven, sir. That That is just music to my ears.
1: Well, so. it's true. I, uh, You know, my, my formative basketball years, you know, really that sweet spot was like late 80s, early 90s. And, uh, you know, growing up in, in Northern Virginia, obviously the heart of ACC country, and uh your work, Mike Patrick, Billy Packer—I mean, you, know, you know, all those games on on Raycom. Um, uh, you know, that was really what you know uh, got me into the sport. And so, uh, I'm not saying you're totally responsible for my work here, Bob, but uh, you did—you <laughs> definitely played a role.
0: Well, we won't tell anybody any different. Uh, after uh, you graduated from uh, Virginia Tech, you got your BS there. Then it was on to the University of Wyoming. Are you from the West? Or what, what led you out? <laughs> it
1: was sort of a very early uh, midlife crisis, I think. Uh, you know, I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out of high school. You know, kind of went down the engineering road because I had a very kind of uh, technical mind. And uh, um, you know, once I got done at Virginia Tech, I kind of realized that uh, I really wanted to be a meteorologist. And uh, at that time, Virginia Tech did not have a meteorology program, so I it, it took it upon myself to go someplace I'd never been before, if I was going to, you know, completely switch careers. And, uh, and that's how I ended up at Wyoming. So that was really my first, you know, taste of, of anything, you know, Western Mississippi pretty much. And, uh, you know, never went a cast, but you know, that basically just stayed out West uh, from that point on in my life.
0: I have actually done a game in Laramie and, uh, the coach then was Benny Dees. And I remember our meeting with him in preparation for the game. He said, you know, in the wintertime fellows, it gets a little raw out here. Uh, if you're going to walk from the dorms or your apartment to go see a game in January in Laramie, uh, that, that tells me something. You, you, you're tough.
1: No question. Yeah. The, the thing was, you know, being a uh, meteorology major, um, I kind of appreciated the weather. You know? That was one of the selling points. The weather was so bizarre and unusual. And it was like, Hey, this is like really interesting. So uh, I probably had a different perspective on it than, uh, than most people did in that town.
0: So Ken, after that, you, I mean, you're still a college basketball fan. What led you from the world of meteorology to this how'd that happen
1: well you know it kind of started um it kind of started in Wyoming where uh you know I had access to a, a computer lab and uh you know uh there was some downtime during the the summer and uh you know it just started I was always interested in you know like Jeff Sager I mean he was kind of like a big inspiration for me you know growing up I would you know just love getting his ratings every week and uh and thought they were really uh insightful and better than what you got from the ap poll and uh i kind of wanted to be like jeff sagren so uh so that was kind of the initial seed and uh you know as time went on really the next few years you know moneyball the book came out there's a lot of work going on in baseball um dean oliver who uh is now an assistant with the, the washington wizards he he wrote a book on basketball analytics that came out in the early 2000s and uh that you know sparked my interest you know i i really just love that kind of writing and uh um uh, didn't expect to do it myself but I quickly discovered no one else was really doing it for college basketball so I started doing it and from that, you know, came staff. You know, I needed some staff to, to use in my writing, so I kinda had to, you know, gather the data and, and make those stats. But uh that was kind of the chain of events that really led to uh to starting my site and uh and you know eventually getting to where it is today.
0: I was reading Nick Green's book uh this summer about how to watch basketball like an expert and you were mentioned in there and the way that you put this together, there was a story in the book about how you were watching a basketball telecast, and I believe it was an Air Force game, and the announcers were talking about the defense was so great, and you're saying, wait a minute, no, 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 that's not the case. Uh, Just because the game's in the 50s or the 40s does not mean the team is playing great defense. And did that uh helped spark you toward this line of work?
1: It sure did. Uh yeah, so uh, a gentleman by the name of Joe Scott was coaching Air Force in the early two thousands and uh things have come full circle. He's back coaching Air Force again, but uh you know, in those early days he ran he ran a very extreme version of the Princeton offense which you know, used the entire shot clock almost all the time and uh, uh you know the games are very low scoring and people talk about how their scoring defense was great and I mean you could you could watch them and you could look at their stats and you can kinda of see well they're they're a pretty good shooting team. Like they don't call the Princeton defense, Bob. They call the Princeton offense. So obviously, <laughs> uh, you know, offense is probably the selling point here. And uh, and yeah, that did that did uh, kind of uh, really motivate me to uh, you know see how good their offense really was because it was fairly clear people were just looking at points per game score to make judgments on teams. And it's obvious that you know, there was a big difference between you know a team like Air Force that played a really slow style and a team like you know North Carolina that. You know, gotten down the court very quickly, so uh, that was that was definitely a big moment uh, in in terms of the development of my site.
0: Are there parallels between predicting the weather and predicting the outcome of a basketball game?
1: Oh yes, and I I think uh, you know people sometimes they look at my past and they say you know wow what a weird jump that was to go from predicting weather to, to basketball, but that's uh, there is a connection there, and that is that there's. There's uncertainty when you make predictions and uh, for people who have to deal with weather, you know, the uncertainty is kind of aggravating. You know, they, they're like, why are you telling me there's a 30 percent chance of rain? Okay, you just tell me if it's going to rain or not? Um, but uh, our science is not good enough to do that. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, that uncertainty is appealing in basketball. Right. Like, uh, you know, Oral Roberts, uh, you know, making a run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you know, you could not predict that with absolute certainty before the tournament started or anything close to that. Most people would have said, uh, ah, they're not, there's no chance they're going to do that, but there was a small chance they do that and things kind of went right for them. And then ultimately they did it. And so, uh, the fact that we, we can't predict things with absolute certainty makes, uh, sports a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, part of my, part of the goal on my site was really to kind of apply, uh, you know, that principle, like how, what are the chances that this team does this, you know, that way when something unusual does happen, we can kind of like, categorize and rank it and compare it to past events and say you know well you know was this Oral Roberts run really unusual you know how does it compare to
0: you know Davidson getting to the Elite Eight when they had Steph Curry things like that. Ken one of the things about basketball that I think is so different than the other sports is the home court advantage. It doesn't matter the level whether it's the NBA, college, high school, you name it. For some reason, the home court advantage in basketball is a very real thing. Uh, I guess what seventy-five percent in the NBA home court team wins. Um, we can get into you know all those factors, but the reason I brought that up is in analyzing college basketball last year, there was no home court advantage for very for the vast majority of all the games that were played. They were played in empty gyms. How did you feel like that may have skewed some of the results?
1: It certainly played a role. Eh? You know, it was interesting. I mean, that's something that uh, is a, has always been an interesting uh, area of research for me. You know, obviously, that's one of the big reasons I was attracted to college basketball because it always felt like home court advantage was huge and the fans were, were crazy. And, uh, um, you know, that was a, a big reason to watch games. And last year, you know, so in a typical college season, you know, you look at, conference play home court advantage has been decreasing over you know recent decades a normal year it's roughly like 60 to 62 percent of home teams win in conference play um and last year it was 57.5 percent so you know it's kind of interesting home court didn't go away you know instead of being you know three and a half points for you know an ACC game or a big 12 game it was you know something like two and a half to two points or something like that so you know it, it it decreased it went down clearly the lack of fans um uh, you know had an impact but there was still a significant chunk of home court advantage left which i really thought it was interesting obviously we'll i think we'll see the normal home court advantage come back this year but uh overall it didn't have as big of an impact as uh, as i would have thought
0: are the numbers going down excepting last season for the obvious reasons but are the numbers coming down because the conferences are getting so much bigger
1: I think there's a, it's a hard to say. The word is going to have to guess at this one, Bob, but personally, uh, you know, when you look at what causes uh home court advantage, it, you can usually trace it back to the officials and obviously you can go back from officials to the fans as well. like the fans having influence on the officials, but certainly it comes down to like teams getting, you know, favorable calls in certain situations. And I think the technology that has been developed, uh, for officials to evaluate themselves now, where it's really a lot more objective than it was 20 years ago. They can look on video and see the bad calls they made, know they're getting evaluated on those calls. Um, You know, it really compels them to try and make the fair call a lot more often than they used to. Not that they were intentionally, you know, favoring the home team before. It's just a natural thing when 10,000 people are are yelling at you and and cheering you when you make a certain call or looing you when you make a different call. Um, But I think I would guess that. Is, is the root of, of the difference in recent years.
0: When college fans get into the season and uh, they start looking at teams, particularly as it applies to making the NCAA tournament, and they want to know about their club going down the stretch, and we refer them to your site, what would you tell them to look for? Like if I'm a fan of, I don't know, pick one, Providence College, you know, and I want to see how the Friars stack up. Uh, going into a particular game or what have you, what would you say to them, uh, to your site? Because it can be, you know, drinking from a fire hose. That's correct. It can be
1: a little intimidating. Uh, Yeah, my site is just mostly tables of numbers. So, uh, you know, if if you're, you know, not used to looking at that, it can be a problem. But, you know, I try to set it up so that, you know, it's uh, you can really take a top-down approach to it. I mean, the front page is, you know, just a ranking of teams. And ultimately, that ranking of teams is what my system thinks their strength is. So, you know, if you're the 10th best team should be better than the 20th best team. And that information is kind of interesting in itself. But uh, to me, it's more interesting to get into the details. And so, you know, I have the adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency, which looks at the the points that a team should score per 100 possessions or allow per 100 possessions against an average team. So if you want to get a feel for, you know, is this team better offensively than they are defensively, you can do that. Um, and from there, you can drill down into what's called the four factors, which is what uh, you know. I mentioned Dean Oliver earlier; he was the guy who came up with that concept. And that just looks at, you know, take your offense. There's there's four aspects of an offense that basically describe how well you do statistically, and you know, it comes down to shooting and turnovers. And um rebounding and free throws, and uh um, you can look at how teams rank across division one and those components as well, and see what their strengths are, why is their offense good and uh and so it's uh it's a step by step process, but uh, uh you know it just depends on how detailed you want to get, but you can pretty much uh drill down as far as you want to in terms of figuring out you know why a team is good or or why they don't.
0: and it would allow the fans to evaluate teams regardless of the pace they play, correct.
1: That's, yeah, that, that, you know, that's really the key to this is that if you're looking at, you know, per game statistics, uh, teams play at different paces, you know, the, the possession, when you have possession of the basketball, like that's your opportunity to score. And so if you are, you know, running an up-tempo offense, you're going to have more possessions than most teams, and you're going to score more points than most teams, even if your offense maybe isn't that great. Uh, you're also, the other team's going to get the ball a lot too in that case, and the other team's going to score a lot of points. And so, your defense is going to look poorer than, than other teams. Well, just because of your pace. So yeah, everything is, is really kind of scaled to either a percentage or uh, a per possession status. Really everything's scaled to the opportunity you have to do that thing, whether it's, you know, score a basket or or get a rebound or, or make a free throw or whatever. Like we're looking at opportunities and not just, The entire game itself
0: the one thing that's changed in basketball over these last few years it's really exploded actually is the advent of the three-point shot Uh, of course it trickles down from the nba to college uh, to high school etc but i would think that since you've been doing this uh the three-point explosion has been very significant what what were your thoughts on that
1: well there's no question yeah the There are a lot of three-pointers or more three-pointers shot now than there were 20 years ago and and obviously way more than when the three-point line came into existence. Um, You know, my thoughts are, I think, in a general sense, it's not, you know, people like blame the three-point line, but, you know, the the one big change that that we've seen, whether it's the college level or the NBA level the last 20 years, is that uh, big men are way better than they used to be. Like it used to be just, you know, threw a seven footer out there and you expected him to have his back to the basket and he, you know, didn't, Venture more than ten feet from the hoop, and um, now you know. In order to get a job and playing big games in the NBA, certainly you have to. You have to be able to move. You have to be able to guard multiple positions. You have to you have to be able to shoot from distance. And uh, that's not entirely true in college, but it's definitely more true than it used to be. I mean, the skill that you know fours and fives have on the court now is just so much greater than it used to be. And uh, and, in large part, that's what's driving the three point shooting. I mean, obviously there' are, you know there are guards that take an absurd amount of threes now that. Maybe you wouldn't have done that twenty years ago, but you know, twenty years ago, you'd have had two or three guys on the court that could shoot the three, and now it's pretty unusual to see a team like that. Like most every team in college basketball now has four guys on the floor that can shoot the three, and a lot have five guys on the floor, and, and that's what's driving it. And uh, I, you know, I, I personally don't see it as a bad thing that you know we have a bunch of players that are uh, uh, a lot more skilled than uh, than
0: they used to yeah, be. Yeah, skilled levels off the chart. So let me let me circle back to the home court advantage. With that, is the three ball driving some of those numbers down in terms of uh, the home team winning on such a big percentage? Uh,
1: I don't, I don't know. know. (laughs) Again, we're kind of speculating here. It's hard for me to see that connection. There's a very small, you know, home court advantage in terms of three point shooting itself. So like home teams do tend to shoot a little better on the three. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I would think, you know, maybe it would help home court advantage, but obviously, um, if it's doing that, it's, it's not overcoming what other factors exist. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know I don't know if home court is, is being helped or, or hurt by the three, but uh um but certainly there are a lot more of them
0: being shot in every game. Now you're getting ready to crank up the new season. Let me ask you this. Do you start over at ground zero for every year or do, is there carryover? Uh so when
1: it comes to the ratings, yeah, I I do have a preseason rating uh that I started about ten years ago that, you know, seemed like an impossible task because, you know, there's so much player turnover and in college, but, uh, but ultimately crank something out and it was pretty popular. And so I continue to do that every year. And, and so I, I do start with a rating. Ultimately that rating fades away, um, you know, by about two thirds of the way through the season, it's the, the preseason ratings are completely forgotten, but, uh, yeah, we do have a, a preseason rating, just like the AP poll. you know, we got a, a preseason rating to kind of get the fans interested and, and put the teams in some sort of uh, sensible order to start the season.
0: And can you share with us uh, some secrets about that? <laughs> yeah well you yeah, what would you like to know bob i can tell you who's uh <laughs> who's going to the final four can that's all we care about no, okay oh.
1: <laughs> i can tell you that florida is preseason number 35 is that enough for you
0: okay i you got my you got my attention
1: no i uh you know i uh, no surprise but gonzaga will be uh will be number one in my in my preseason ratings i think uh most people will have them number one in uh in their polls as well you know obviously uh, they've just been a machine in terms of uh, you know, turning out, you know, solid teams in recent years. It feels like Mark Few is just getting better as a coach. He's maximizes, you know, the talent that he does have coming in and obviously um you know, they have Drew Timmy coming back from last year. They have outstanding freshmen, Set Holmgren and uh and it stands a reason that they should be uh viewed as the front runner here uh, headed into the new season.
0: One sidebar note, um I don't know that we've ever talked about this on the podcast, but certainly the gambling issue is something that's huge now. How much of an influence has this work that you've done influence the betting market? Do you have any idea? <laughs> I try, try not to think about that too much.
1: <laughs> I'm a little nervous. But uh, no, I think early, uh, you know, early on, we're talking about this issue of, uh, you know, Looking at possessions and things like that, and one of the the outcomes of of doing this is that uh, you know you get to see a team's pace. So we can quantify a team's pace now, and and that people are used to doing that. But in the early days of, of doing these ratings, I think um, that might have uh, influenced some um, some betting lines in terms of just you know you're trying to predict a point total for a game. Knowing a team's pace is uh, is very important to doing that, and I don't think there was really a um, a resource or a reference for that kind of thing before I started. So I think early on I had some influence. I think now there's just so much information out there that, um, you know, I'd like to still think I have a lot of influence, but I'm pretty sure I don't have as much as, uh, as I did when I started.
0: Ken Pomeroy, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. We, uh, You know, those of us have, that subscribe and, and live on it day to day, we thank you for it, number one. But just great insights, and we really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your time with us today.
1: All right, Bob. Thanks for having me on. I uh, really enjoyed chatting with you.
0: That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. We will see you again here next week. Our big Naismith golf event is coming up this weekend. We'll have a lot of the festivities uh, to share with you on the podcast next week. Till then, Bob Rathbun from all of us at the Naismith Awards. So long.